Good morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Chapter 6, if you don't have one with you and you want to use the one in the rack in front of you, please do. And if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, take it home and make it yours and love to give that to you. So we're in this series entitled Home Wreckers because we don't want to do that. We, we don't want to wreck our homes. I've never met anybody yet who wanted to do that. Yeah, what I'd really like to do is just really devastate my family and, and uh, mess it up. We don't want to do that. We want our homes to be healthy and happy. And I suppose a, a healthy, happy home has several ingredients. If we took a poll, we could probably all suggest a lot of things that we think would contribute to the health and happiness of a family. But if we want to know for sure, if we want to know what's absolutely essential, what has to be there to make a, a family healthy and happy, we really need to listen to the one who invented the family. And God's Word tells us what the main ingredient is, the essential ingredient for a home to be healthy and happy as He intends. And that main ingredient is this. We need Jesus Christ to be in charge of our homes. We need to trust Him. We need to experience His presence. We need to follow His directions. We need to rely on His help. Because every home wrecker that we've looked at so far, and we've looked at uh, three so far, home wrecker number one was unloving husbands, home wrecker number two was disrespectful wives, home wrecker number three, disobedient children. What all of those home wreckers have in common is this. They don't trust Jesus enough to do it his way. You know, whenever a husband is acting unlovingly, he's not at that point trusting Jesus. A wife who's acting disrespectfully is not trusting Jesus. A child who's acting in disobedience is not at that point trusting Christ. So the biggest threat to our homes is really not the culture. The biggest threat is us. Because we've got this stubborn inclination to, well, we just sang about it, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. This stubborn inclination to trust ourselves and lean on our own understanding rather than to trust the Lord. And so, you know, we do this, you know, it comes to, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to sex, when it comes to family, um, we're, we're so prone to think we know better. We know better. And it's so foolish. Because you know what? Jesus is smarter than we are. Yeah. He's wiser than we are. He's more loving than we are. And so the best thing, and he gives us these instructions for our own good. So the very best thing you could do for yourself and for your family is to put yourself completely in his hands. And treat the members of your family the way he says to. So today we come to home record number four called Exasperating Parents. Yeah, last time we were in chapter six, verses one through three, where it tells children who are still living at home, still under their parents' authority, it tells them to obey their parents in the Lord. Today we come to the next verse, verse four of chapter six. And here we have the Lord's instruction to parents, especially to fathers. So take a look. And there's a note sheet in your folder if you want to pull that out and take some notes. Follow along here. Uh, Ephesians 6, 4. 
Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Or some translations, do not provoke them to anger. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, this is not everything that God's Word says to parents. There are other passages. It is so interesting to me, though, that this is what gets emphasized here. Of all the do's and don'ts, think of all the things that you could maybe, parents would need to know. All the things parents could be told, do and don't. All the things that might have been said, this is what we get. This is the word to parents who want to trust Christ with their parenting, who want to honor Christ with their parenting. This is the word. Dads, don't exasperate your children. Do bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So what does this tell us about the kind of parents God wants us to be? And and grandparents, this is good. And those of us who know parents, uh, ways we can encourage them. Let's think about this. Let's, Let's start by asking why this word is addressed specifically to fathers when children are told to obey both of their parents. Okay, because parenting is a team effort, and the Bible's very clear about that. Uh, Proverbs 1.8, for example, says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So clearly, both mom and dad have responsibility in bringing children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So why is this verse addressed to dad? Well, here are some reasons that come to mind. And one reason this is addressed mainly to dads is because dads have a leading influence in the home. And we saw this back in chapter 5, verse 23, where it refers to the husband as the head. And we explored that, that biblical headship means that the husband slash father has the primary responsibility to lead, protect, and provide for his family. So, so he is to provide, he is to protect, he is to lead his family, and the model of that is the servant leadership, the loving leadership of Jesus Christ himself. Okay, and this is not a random assignment. We talked about this. This is not, you know, God just rolling the dice, and it came up, bam, it came up husbands, fathers. No, God intentionally designed the family this way in order to display, reveal, make known deep things about himself, to display the loving relationship that Christ has for the church. So this is how God set it up for for deep reasons. And because of the way God designed the family... Fathers have a leading influence on their kids just because they are fathers, because they're in that role. See, you might think that because parenting is a, t- is a team effort, you might think that the amount of influence that each parent has is like 50%, right? Dad, 50% influence, mom, 50% influence. That's not the case. That is not the case. And research shows this. Focus on the family reported research. This was an interesting study they did. They were trying to determine what influence different members of the family have when 
one of them is the first one in the household to become a believer in Jesus Christ. And so they found that when the first Christian in a home is a child, there's about a 3.5% probability that the other family members will follow and also become believers. When the first believer in a home is the mother, that probability jumps way up to 17%. But when the first Christian is a father, the probability that everyone else will follow jumps to 93%. Now, I want to be very clear, okay, because some of you may feel prone to despair right at that moment. Statistics are examples of what typically happens. They do not determine what happens. So if you're a single mom, or if you're a mom who's married to a husband who isn't doing necessarily a good job of honoring Christ with his fatherhood, please don't despair. Okay, God can do amazing things through a mom who loves Jesus and is sold out to him. In fact, we have a New Testament example, Timothy. We read about the New Testament. There's actually two letters from the Apostle Paul addressed to him. Paul's right-hand man in many instances. Great man of God. Well, Timothy's father was not a believer in Jesus. Um, in fact, we're told specifically that it was Timothy's mother and grandmother who led him to Christ. So don't despair. Rely on Christ. But the thing we've got to understand is that dad's influence is very powerful. Dads tend to influence the kind of men their sons become. They tend to influence the kind of daughters their daughters become, or kind of women their daughters become. It's big. And so dads, this is addressed to you because God expects you to use your influence to raise your kids to know and trust him. Second reason I think this is addressed to dads is because dads model the fatherhood of God. Dads model the fatherhood of God. And we either do it well or we do it poorly. But one way or another, we are giving our children a picture of what it means that God is Father. Okay, Psalm 103, verse 13 says, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Does that surprise anybody else that the quality of fatherhood that's singled out here as being like God is compassion? Compassion. Is that what typically comes to your head when you think of, yeah, dads, compassion? I don't know, it just kind of, to me, seems like maybe a more feminine trait. And yet here we're told it's a dad quality, compassion. It doesn't talk about strength. It doesn't talk about being a good provider. It, doesn't, it certainly doesn't talk about getting mad or being busy. Compassion. So what does that mean, dads? Okay, here, let me help you connect it. Because if you're a decent dad, you know that, you know that feeling you have, you know how you feel when one of your kids gets really hurt, I mean, not just a little bump, but I mean really hurt, or they get picked on by a bully on the playground, you know that feeling you have of wanting to rush in and protect them, and if you could get away with it, knock that bully's head off? <laughs> hey, that's how God feels. That's how God feels toward those who trust him, okay? God feels and acts like a good father. Now, there is more to God than his fatherhood, but see, dads teach their kids what it means that God relates to to us as a father. And again, we either do that well or we don't do it well. 
And depending on your situation, the fatherhood of God either means something really sweet and wonderful to you, or it means something horrible to you. Something you have to learn to get over. You have to relearn what fatherhood means. So this is a huge responsibility that dads need to grasp. And third, I think this instruction not to exasperate children is addressed to fathers because I think dads can be more exasperating. What are you laughing at? Uh, Yeah. I think dads can be more exasperating because of the kinds of sins that dads are prone to. Okay? Dads, let's face it. Come on. When that first kid comes along, it, it just dawns on you. You have this moment of revelation. You don't have a clue what to do. You know, I mean, let's just face it. It just, to a dad, it seems like a mom is so much better equipped for this job of raising kids. I mean, she's been nurturing. She's been bonding with this baby for nine months already inside of her body. Dad hasn't. And mom has the apparatus for feeding that newborn. (laughs) Dad doesn't. And mom, you know, many women have experienced babysitting. Most guys don't. (laughs) Let's just face it, mom's often nicer than dad, too. So dad doesn't really know what to do other than just say, you know, good job, honey. You go, girl. (laughs) And and because of this, because of this, dads, many dads are tempted to go passive, and, and just let mom handle the parenting task. Let her raise the kids. They seem to like her better anyway. Okay? No. No. That is exasperating. Not just to the mom, but to the kids. They need and they want dad to be engaged, to be involved. And it's interesting, you know, a little more research. A researcher asked fathers, interviewed fathers, and asked them how much time they would estimate that they spent interacting with their children each day. You know, you know and sheepishly, they would say things like, I don't know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes a day, you know, interacting. Well, then the researchers put microphones on the dads, and they actually measured how much direct interaction dads had with their kids. You know what the average amount was? 37 seconds. 37 seconds. Meanwhile, research shows that the average preschooler watches 30 to 50 hours of TV a week. So dads, we're tempted to go passive. We've got to fight that temptation. We've got to engage. So I think these words are addressed to fathers because fathers need to pay extra careful attention here. Parenting is a team effort. Children need to obey both of their parents. And these words have application to moms and dads, but dads, you have a unique responsibility. You have a unique privilege. You have a unique opportunity to influence your kids to know Christ and to follow him. So we need to, we need to focus in. So, so how do we do it? How do we... Okay, so remember, this whole instruction on the family comes under the big umbrella command of be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, and submit to one another in reverence for Christ, honoring Christ. 
So how do we do that? How do parents, especially dads, honor Christ with their parenting? Well, there are two big points that come right out of Ephesians 6.4. First is, pursue the big priority. Pursue the big priority. In other words, keep the main thing the main thing. Okay, what's the main thing in your parenting? What's the main thing in raising your kids? Well, the main thing is not feeding clothing, and housing them. That's important. Okay, that's very important, but it's not the main thing. The main thing is not teaching your kids how to behave. That also is very important, especially if you talk to their teachers. And the main thing is not getting your kids into good schools, getting them involved in sports and other extracurricular activities. That's not the main thing either. What is the main thing in raising your children? last part of the verse Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The main task in parenting is leading your children to know, to love, to trust, to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that doesn't make you feel desperate for God's help in your parenting, I don't know what will. How do we do that? How do we lead our kids to know, to trust, to love, to obey the Lord? Well, let's look at some very practical guidance for us. This comes from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, chapter 6, beginning at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, or a better translation, I think, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. See, it's really not all that complicated. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's not that complicated. If you want your kids to love the Lord, then you need to love the Lord. If you want your kids to trust the Lord, you need to trust the Lord. If you want your kids to obey the Lord, you need to obey the Lord. Okay? Jesus called this the, sec- uh, the, the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all that you are, heart, soul, and mind. So how do you do that? You have to get to know Him. You have to spend time with Him. You have to learn to rely on Him. You have to learn to obey Him. You, Here's the you really can't introduce your children to somebody you don't know. So make it the number one priority of your life to get to know Jesus. He, he gives us an amazing invitation. Uh, look at what he says in Revelation 3.20. Here I am, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Now, this is addressed to a church. Jesus is talking to a church full of people just like us, and he gives this invitation. The thing that's so interesting is he starts talking to the whole church, and then he says, if anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Look how he takes the initiative. Look how he takes the initiative. He's there standing at the door and knocking. He wants you to know him. And he died on a cross, and he rose from the dead to make that possible, to get your sin out of the way. 
See, having a relationship with Christ, this is so important. Having a relationship with Christ is not about you making yourself good enough for him. It's about admitting you aren't good enough for him. You need him. You need what he did for you on the cross. And you invite him into your life and into your home. And this is huge. Don't try to do it all by yourself. If the Bible makes anything clear, it's this. We can't really live out a relationship with Christ and all that that means by ourselves. And this is, this is the reason we exist as a church. This is all about helping each other connect with the Lord and learn what it means to live life in relationship with Him. You know, that's, it's not our default. We have to learn it. We have to learn to grow. Uh, we need help. So we've got to make it a habit to gather and worship. We've got to make it a habit to learn His Word together and, and to build friendships with people who will know us and who will help us and whom we can ask to pray for us and help us in our parenting. You need people who will know you and encourage you in this. See, notice... Here in Deuteronomy 6, notice how these verses describe a life that is God-centered, God-saturated. You see that? See, God in this picture is not, he's not just a label. He's not just a force. He's not just an entity that, that people might talk about, but nobody really knows. No, he's the main thing in life. He's the hub around which all of life revolves. And what that means is parents... And again, this is not natural for us. We have to learn this. this is, we help each other with this. But what this tells us, that as parents, that before we can teach God's word to our kids, we need to have God's word in our heart. Do you see the emphasis on heart here? And did you notice how the teaching just kind of flows out of, of normal life, everyday life, when you're at home, when you're going down the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up in the morning? See the implication here? This implies just spending time together with our kids. And uh, a lot of teaching just happens as life happens. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't be intentional. We should. You know, we should plan to teach, you know, whether it's the dinner table or, or just before bed or whenever. I frankly wish I'd done a better job of being more intentional. But... Many important opportunities to talk about the Lord and about His ways will just happen as life happens. And you need to know, it will be probably inconvenient. Almost inevitably, the opportunities will be inconvenient. You will be trying to do something that seems very, very important, and you'll be trying to get it done. Whether it's get the kids in the car to go somewhere, get them to bed, get breakfast, whatever. You know, hurry up, we've got to get to church. And then one of your kids is going to say something like, Dad, why do we call it Good Friday when it's the day Jesus died? Or, Dad, there's a kid in my school who doesn't believe in Jesus. He says he's an atheist, but he seems like a really nice guy. Why do people have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven? <laughs> or some other question you were not expecting. And that's why we need to be in our Bibles. That's why we need to be praying. That's why we need friends who can help us ask the really, uh, answer the really hard questions. So we can say, great question. Let me get back to you on that. It's, it's got to be part of our everyday lives. 
It's got to be part of our everyday lives. See, moms and dads, by far and away, the most important thing that you can do for your children is to pursue an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ yourself. Your kids do not expect you to be perfect. They know you're not, but they want you to be real. You just can't fake it. You can't fake it. You've got to be real in your pursuit of Christ. You've got to be real. They've got to see that. And when you blow it, and they know you've blown it, and you know you've blown it, admit it. Own up to it. See, here's the thing. Kids eventually figure out what really matters the most to us by watching us. Yeah, I've seen it before, and it's been said, kids may do what you say, but they tend to become what you are. And the point here isn't that you have to be perfect at this, you know? You, it's about pursuing the big priority, uh, pursuing Him. We all struggle with this. We all struggle with living a life centered around Christ. But our kids need to see that we're serious about it. They need to see that that's what we want, however much we fall short. We need to help each other with this. Okay, so that's one, pursue the big priority. And then the second principle here for... Um, honoring Christ with our parenting, is to avoid the big pitfall. Avoid the big pitfall. So it says, don't exasperate your children or don't provoke them to anger. All right, so what does that mean? I can almost just see a precocious youngster saying to mom, hey, or dad, don't provoke me to anger here. By the way, do you remember we started this whole series that these instructions are given to the person who bears the responsibility? They're not given to the other people to make the other people fulfill their responsibility. Remember that? So, husbands, you're not about, you know, I'm supposed to say, hey, wife, or wife is say, hey, husband, you know, okay, so um, if Junior says, don't provoke me to anger, we need to understand here, this doesn't mean you have to tell him yes every, you can never say no. What it means is, make sure your no's are reasonable, or don't, put it another way, don't be unreasonable. Don't hand down a bunch of arbitrary rules that have nothing to do with really living out God's purposes. Don't give them expectations without example. Don't give them rules without relationship. Josh McDowell has said it before. Rules minus relationship equals rebellion. Let me point out just three examples of exasperating parenting that may be fairly common that we need to work on avoiding. First exasperating example is the hypocrite, which I've already alluded to. This is the parent who says, do what I tell you, don't do what I do. And I've talked to parents who are frustrated with their teenagers because their teenagers aren't plugged into youth group. They're not, you know, they're not part of one of our teen accountability groups that we have, and they're frustrated but then I find out that they themselves are not involved. They're not plugged into a group of adults. They're not plugged into a small group. And by the way, if you're not in a small group, uh, we're going to be launching some come September. If you're not in one, plan to get in one. Because if you want your kids to be involved, you've got to be involved. You've got to show them. Show them that you really do believe it's as important as you say it is. Second exasperating example is the buddy. This is the parent who wants to be liked more than they want to be responsible. That's a bad idea. Okay? Your children need you. 
they can't handle you needing them. All right? The purpose, children's purpose in life is not to meet the emotional needs of their parents. You need adult friends for that. So if, if you're relying on your children to make you feel significant and loved and appreciated, if you're a woman, find some girlfriends. If you're a, a, a man, find some guy friends. Develop your relationship with your spouse. Don't look to your child to meet your emotional needs. See, there's no way you can be the parent you need to be if you're afraid of, of your child getting mad at you and not liking you. It's your job to lead them, even if they don't always like it. That's part of loving them. Now, of course, you want your kids to like them, like you. Of course you do. And here's the thing. If you do your job right, they probably will. (laughs) Most of the time. Eventually. (laughs) But see, trying to be their buddy is ultimately a selfish thing. It's not a loving thing. I read an article, it was an interview with Billy Ray Cyrus, if you know who Billy Ray is. Billy's a Christian, he's a, a musician. You probably are more familiar with his daughter, Miley Cyrus. She was the star of the program, Hannah Montana, and uh, her life is uh, kind of a mess. And Billy Ray in this article was talking about that one of the things he regrets most in life is that he really tried hard to be a good friend to his child and he wasn't the parent he needed to be. So, learn from him. Don't, uh, don't try to be a buddy. And the third exasperating example, kind of the other end of the spectrum from the buddy, is the helicopter. This is the parent who hovers over the child not allowing the child to take any risks, not allowing the child to fail and learn responsibility, overprotective, overcontrolling. And this is really tough, especially the younger your children you are, uh, are, because it can be hard to find the balance between legitimately protecting them and hovering them. Now, I see parents and kids elbowing each other here, so let's not do that. That's a foul. Finding the balance. It, see, here's the thing. We've got to keep the big goal in mind. What is the goal? Okay, bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. All right, we're training them to know Jesus. We're training them to trust Jesus. And you know what? Jesus tells us to take big risks for his glory, not just live safe lives. We in our culture have become very risk-averse. And I... Um, put on your notes, there's a, a web address, an internet address to an article that's really good on this topic. And if this is an issue you struggle with, I'd encourage you to, to read that. Uh, the article gives some very concrete examples of being, the difference between a, a helicopter parenting and what he calls a lighthouse. Lighthouse, showing the kids the way but not hovering. And kind of contrasts these different situations, like the kid wants to climb the monkey bars and what the helicopter does versus what the lighthouse does. It's good. We've got to give our kids a big vision of Jesus. We've got to give our kids a big vision of his purpose for their lives. Remember, we're equipping our kids to leave home. That's the goal, that they're going to leave home someday and make a difference in the world for Jesus. 
That will not happen overnight. Okay, you can't keep, you know, a short rain and then suddenly let go. You got to feed it out a little at a time. Help them handle, learn to handle more and more responsibility over time. Your goal is not a child who is permanently dependent on you. Your goal is a mature adult who is dependent on Jesus. Willing to go anywhere and do anything for Him. That is the most important job you will ever have. 